Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Coast to Coast Combat Hour. I'm your host, Matthew Hawkins, along with my co-host, Ed Carbajal. And on a weekly basis, we plan to bring you the biggest news and interviews in the world of combat sports. Ed, how you doing, brother? Freezing in Jersey. How are you? Good. You just had a warm-up a couple days ago, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, it didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, from sunny uh, Florida, the Orlando area, uh, we're lucky to have with us Ray Robles, um, black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, from the Sixth Level Academy uh, in the Orlando area. Ray, how you doing? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, Ray has been one of our biggest supporters. Uh, we all kind of uh, got together through the MMACommunity.com forum. And um, as I started my writing and, and when he heard about this podcast, he's been uh, basically one of our number one supporters. So we wanted to bring him on, uh, talk about some Brazilian jiu-jitsu, yeah. add another aspect to our uh, combat uh, talk. And uh, I'm going to kind of hand it over to Ed, being that he's a black belt as well. And uh, I'm sure he has some big questions for Ray. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Ray Ray has ha- had the uh, pleasure of spending the most time with a lot of people that uh, – with one of the people that – Many MMA fans know the art of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, from. Uh, he was sharing us with us a story about Hoyce Gracie. So can you just talk about uh, your experience? I know you said you started with uh, with Din Thomas, but how, like, how did you and Hoyce first come together to do it? Because you, you guys do seminars together and stuff now, right? Well, no, he comes to our, our gym. So, I, met, I yeah, I started training in 99 with uh, Dean Thomas, my ex-roommate years back at a time in Orlando. is like, you know, he knew, like, I watched UFC. I remember watching all that stuff back in the day and wanted to get into learning, like, MMA or, or Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But I really – there wasn't a, uh, really an area around. Uh, my ex-roommate at the time worked at a nightclub, and he's like, hey, man, one of these uh, guys who's a bouncer there is a small guy, but he's uh, he fights in that, that UFC and that MMA stuff. And I was like, who is it? He's like, this guy named – Dean, you got to meet him. So I met Dean, and he uh, owned a gym at the time called United Champions. Uh, went down there, met him. Super cool guy. I met him right before he fought uh, Jens Pulver. Mm. Um, and he caught Jens in that heel hook, and I was like, man, that's awesome. You got to you know show me that. So started training with Dean for a little bit, and um, he left to go down to South Florida to go open up a American uh, top team with like Conan and a bunch of the other guys. And when, when he left down to South Florida, I stayed in the Orlando area. Um, after that point, I jumped around the country. I was involved in other things that uh, kept my interest in life, uh, music and other stuff. So I went out to L.A. for a bit and traveled around different places, and I met other other instructors and trainers. When I finally came back to Orlando circa 2005, I was looking for a school to train. And just driving you know, through you know, the neighborhoods in the area, I saw Hoist Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Academy. And I was like, Hoist Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Academy? What's this? You know? And it said, like, Hoist Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. And I was like – Dude, that like, like Hoist is the man. He like he lives in Florida. I had no idea if he lived here or not. Nice. So I stop in there, and then I met this gentleman named Jonathan Burke. And uh, Jonathan, uh, John is uh is still now my coach now. But uh, John is one of Hoist's first black belts. And you know he, he told me the story about Hoist and everything like that. He's like, man, you got to start training. Hoist comes here. He, I mean, John came up with the Gracie Academy. So I started training with John. I mean, still to this day, I'm training with John. Um, uh, but I but I met him there. And probably it was shortly after the Matt Hughes fight. Uh, so it was probably four or five months after I started training with John. Um, Hoist came to our gym to do to the gym to do a seminar. 
uh, met Hoist there for the first time. Super cool guy. And was really, I was really honored because that day he actually, he knew uh, John told him I trained prior and I had a, a, a many years of training prior to that point. So Hoist met me and he's like, you know what? He's like, he promoted me to blue belt that day. Uh, and it, well, actually the next day I did a private lesson with him and it was really awesome. So, uh, from that point on the still, you know, since 2006, I've been training with, with, with John at, at the Academy and, and annually Hoist would come by, you know, a couple times a year to do seminars and stuff. And, you know, throughout the time I've, I've, you know, met him and stuff and I've been, you know, real honored, you know, to, you know, meet him, train under him. And, you know, which was really cool. And uh, John tells me all the great stories of the old Gracie Academy, how they came up and, and everything like that. So it's just been a good lineage that, you know, I'm, I'm proud. I know I'm very proud of, of, of my, my lineage from John through Hoist and stuff like that, because I know it's like that jujitsu right from like the, the founding fathers, the creators yeah. of, of the art. So that's, it's, it's, I'm, you know, really honored and privileged about that. Yeah. That's fortunate too, man, because uh, it's hard to, I mean, nowadays, so you started in 99. I started like maybe three or four years after you. Um, and even back then, finding a good jujitsu school was hard. Yeah. Uh, you like you had a, if you were driving an hour to get to a place that was considered good. I mean, now, yeah. now there's almost one on every corner. So it's it's like uh, the evolution of that martial art, along with the sport of mixed martial arts. It's flourished uh, for obviously for entertainment, for businesses. I mean, people. Uh, even uh, karate schools, taekwondo schools, and stuff have adapted a jujitsu program into their schools because they had they had to recognize the n- not just the value of the martial art as a self defense tool, but but the overall uh, uh, you know the, recognizing it as a legitimate uh, adaptation to any ar- any martial art. Uh, up here, we had uh, Hoyler was the guy up in my area, New Jersey. Cool, cool. He brought uh, jujitsu to Jersey and. Um, that was one of the things on one of his first black belts, Lou Vintolaro, who was who's my instructor's original instructor. He uh, he said that uh, on his website he would he said that he's like if you train in other martial arts, this is a perfect way to supplement your training. And uh, it look it seems like it it was whatever was a supplement stole anyone because I was an Ishinru karate guy, and then okay. I I just I did Ishinru karate for eleven years. I did kickboxing before that, stick fighting, Aikido. I did all this stuff, and then when I found jujitsu. Uh, that's all I do now. I mean, that's all I do now. So it's definitely, uh, I mean, you're the fact that you have hoist that hoist connection. Uh, that's really, that's really something to brag about, man. Congrats. Man. It's funny because like, you know, there's a, a stigma about the Gracies in, in the jiu-jitsu community or in the MMA community, actually, sometimes. And and I find it funny because no matter what fighter is out there modernly, you see a lot of the fan base, people who don't train will often, like, you know, have sort of a, a backlash toward the Gracies for, for multiple reasons, you know. And, and, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. But when you start looking at the uh, – the, the, the 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 fighters the, the top fighters in the world nowadays I mean, the conor mcgregor's the nate diaz all those guys everybody will still turn around and be like wow if it wasn't for the gracies and, and hoist and, and that 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 thing what they did what he did coming out of the, the original ufc that they were, we wouldn't be here today and I, and i think it's like when you when you pay tribute to your the, to the founding fathers if you will in in, in mma in brazilian jiu-jitsu the gracies you know it, you find that like no matter what's out there things are always going to change there's always going to be an evolution of the process of how people do things but it's a, to go back and look back and have that connection to the source i i do find that's that's very it's 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 important i'm proud like i said i'm proud of that lineage and and i know there's many people around the world that have that lineage as well too and i that's awesome you know so i always encourage people you get you get the closer to the source you get you know the more proficient you're going to be at the art so yeah when i when i first you know i had some early training um i got into it kind of in the 
mid nineties. Um, I remember I actually drove up to the Gracie Academy in Torrance, um, me and one of my buddies when I think I was a senior in high school. And it was just to kind of go up there and, you know, it, it was about two and a half hour drive from my house. And I even questioned, you know, at the time, like, uh, Ed was saying there wasn't gyms anywhere. So it was almost like, do I drive two and a half hours a couple times a week just to be able to experience this, but just to be able to go up there and see everything on the wall. And, and, uh, I think they even had the little, uh, statue of the of the octagon the original octagon i bought my gracie in action vhs tapes for about 75 dollars a pop and uh, yeah. came yeah. and watched those and you know i was able i was able to get in with mark hall who was also one of the early pioneers of uh, nice ufc7 trained with him for a couple of years and got to got to train with some other guys uh richard red Hurd. um he won he won the original uh world valley Tudo championship tournament okay. um so yeah. it was just kind of cool being a fan and Getting, you know, I was I was a huge Hoist Gracie fan. I mean, without Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, um, I mean that was my first love. Getting into it, I never got to. I trained with uh, Rick Lucero, who at the time was a brand belt under Joe Marrera, yeah. and uh, a guy named John Munoz, who who's actually has his own academy now here in Ontario, California. You know but, what the uh, fu- the funny thing about it is, I mean, and and Ray, you can jump in on this. One of the one of the reactions that when I get that reaction where people try to like like say, oh, but the Gracies, it's old school, whatever. You know, when they try to say something negative, I'm like. You guys realize they're fighting with no rules, right? Like I always have to point out that like what they're doing now is a watered down version of a real fight that or the closest thing to a real fight that you can get. And uh that's some usually when I say that they're like, "Oh, there was no rule." It's either they didn't know that the the original UFC didn't have any rules or uh uh you know, they were just, they just forgot and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's true too." And then they the conversation's usually over there. And that's and that's the big thing. A lot, a lot of people don't get that. Like modernly, you're never going to see a hundred and seventy pound athlete fight a three hundred and fifty pound man, and everybody's going to be like, "Yeah, we're cool with that. Make it happen." It, it it really was different. And I know a lot of people come back and say, "Oh, but if you took a George Saint Pierre and you put him in that period, or if you took a Connor or somebody put him in that period, yeah, no kidding, they'd be great because." They're, they're now the evolution of, of what the, the athlete is. The same way we look at, you know, LeBron James could, you know, beat Jerry West in a basketball game, even though Jerry West was phenomenal back in the, in the 70s or 60s. You know, it's that same concept. Like, I think that when you look at what MMA was coming from that, basically, guys, it's a, glorif- it's a, it's a street fight in a cage, and we're picking style versus style to see whose style is the best. And the mm-hmm. evolution of it became that, you know what, we realized that Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was phenomenal. So we need to implement that into my striking training and my wrestling training to get a better, you know, well-rounded athlete. And that's, that's where it all came from. So when you, I, I, it always gets me when I see that pushback against the Gracies because people have their opinions about, you know, their egos and their arrogance. But, like, I, I always tell people, like, like anybody, if you were defending your family name, you put your name, your brand on something, your family yeah. name on something. I think people would probably also be a little bit more protective of how that's perceived or how it's put out there if anyone's trash talking it or anything. So if they've got upset by some things that people have said, I think they're kind of entitled to it because truth be told, 1925 till now, they put in the time to develop it that even modernly all the great – if you look at all the top jujitsu competitors today, they've all come from a lineage of a Gracie. You know, whether it's on Carlos' side or, or Elio's side, they've come from a lineage directly they could trace back. You know, Nicky Ryan, everybody's talking about him after this weekend's phenomenal Kasai event up there in Brooklyn. Yeah. And, and I mean, Nicky's great, 16 years old, beating black belts. I mean, he's phenomenal. But yeah. he's 
with Tom DeBlas, who's Henzo, who comes right now, right there from the lineage. It, it's a direct lineage to the source. And, and guys will implement new styles and different things to try and do, but it all comes from their, their base understanding of the source that comes from, from the Gracies and those forefathers beforehand. That's why it's important to kind of always look back to be like, all right, this is where we come from and this is where we, we are now because of them. So. What do you think? What, what do you think about talking about uh, the starting or uh, the roots of Gracie Jiu Jitsu and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? What do you think? Because I know Hickson kind of uh, with with that the new self defense thing. I mean, it's like there's this argument now from like older. I I consider myself an old Jiu Jitsu guy because because I'm old. But yeah. uh, the the uh, what do you think about the argument about how how sport? The same thing with MMA. We just talked about how MMA the, the uh, it came from this no no holds barred fighting. That Hoist Gracie fought in the UFC one. What do you think about the argument that some, that they're they're talking about how sport jujitsu versus the original jujitsu for self defense and how how all these competitions are watering down the sport? I mean, competition is good for improvement and challenging yourself and stuff. Mm-hmm. But as far as like all the rule sets and all the inverted stuff and the fancy stuff that you know you I mean you wouldn't try flying anything in the street. You know what exactly. I mean? So exactly. like, what's your opinion on it? Well, if you look at modernly in, in the, the big trend right now in, in sport jujitsu is no gi submission grappling. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, uh, submission only grappling, I should say, and leg locks. And never will you ever see you got you like, ever should go for a heel hook or a leg lock in the street because yeah. you know I remember uh, one of my good friends, a fighter out of here, um, one of the coaches here, Ryan Keenan. His last mm-hmm. one of his last MMA fights, the guy in a cage went down for a heel hook on him. <laughs> Ryan just kind of like looked at him, spun, hit him with a spinning backwards, and beat him up. And his coaches, the other guys' coaches, are like, oh, like encouraging him to go for the leg still. And I'm like, why would you do that in a fight? You know, I do have the theory of this. Listen. To each everything, there is a place for everything. Um, for those who are only about the self-defense aspect of jujitsu, I would my personal opinion. Now, this might differ from my coach or, or from other people. My personal opinion is this, um, and and you coming from an old school school as well. Um, if you say we're only about the self-defense, and you teach guard passing or triangle choke defense. Mm-hmm. My comeback to that is how many people on the street are pulling guard on you or attacking triangles that you feel the need that it's important to teach them how to defend that, you know? So there is an aspect of competitiveness that you have in jujitsu that you're saying that if you're allowing yourself to teach how to defend these things, then you're saying you're making it a competition against skilled jujitsu competitors. So therefore allow the art to develop in a sport aspect. You know, allow it to be, and people are coming up with different things. It's just riffing on the original theme. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of it, when I look at guys who come from heavy competition-based schools and don't know how to teach self-defense or don't practice the self-defense and don't have any idea about self-defense or or even worse, you watch them teach self-defense techniques and it's, you're looking at them like if a person does that, you'll understand how they'll get hurt or how that won't work. But you have no idea because you've hyper-focused only on pulling guard, going for heel hooks and doing all that kind of stuff. It, it, it That tends to be a thing too. You can't negate or ignore the other sides of it. You have to, I think, evenly, equally practice the self-defense aspect of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well as the competitive aspect, like you said, for competition to see where you stand, to just work on new avenues of Jiu-Jitsu because those games are out there. Those those techniques are out there, and you have to know how to deal with those techniques, be it in a street fight, an MMA fight, or in a competition. You know, So learn them both. I don't think you should 
you know, push and be like, we're never going to learn anything competitive or we're never going to learn self-defense. I think you need to have that, that, that imagery, that, that marriage of both of them together to be a, a fully well-rounded jujitsu practitioner, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. That's actually one thing, because uh, my, my instructor has also, I mean, he's got guy, he, he uh, coached MMA fighters, got a few guys, he got a, a few guys into the strike force in the UFC. Um, and he, we got a couple of young guys fighting out here in the dead serious promotion, but, um, the one of the things he did to me and a, and a, the, another guy that got the black belt same day I did when we both got it, we, we were like, oh, you know, we don't for years. We were like, yeah, I don't like training. No gi. I don't like training. No gi. He was like, oh, OK, what are the days you come? And we told him those days and he was like, OK. And then when the new year started, those days were only no gi. <laughs> so he made you know what I mean? And it was like one of those things like you have to do it all. doesn't matter what your opinion is. If you're going to do it, you got to do it 100 percent, not just uh you know, what your preference is. That's not how life works. So it was definitely, uh, it's definitely, uh, I agree with you what you said there. I mean, you, you have to, you kind of got to uh, put your foot in, in all, all of the water, not just the parts that feel nice. And I personally feel like another thing that it, from my personal observation, and, and, and this is just, again, editorializing my opinion, another reason why I personally think that there's a, 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 an older group of, of coaches, and I'm, I'm not talking about back to source, I'm not talking about the Gracies or anything like that, but the, the mid-level guys who may have received their black belts in the, in the, in the, in the 2000s or in that area, um, that they're looking at these new young competitors who are coming out, they're better. They're trying new things. They have young bones and backs and bodies and going for inverted crazy stuff. And they're quick to dismiss that because it might not be something that they can do. And, yeah. and in that capacity, it's also because they're doing that, they're negating and saying, oh, that's not practical. Well, if that kid can do it, it's practical. If he can do it to another competitor who's also doing it, it is practical. So a lot of older coaches or people will not, you know, they, they won't accept that, you know, kind of almost they always preach, check your ego at the door. But I seen some guys that won't check their own personal ego to say, show me something new, you know, and that's, and it's, it's, it's hard because I get it. It, it, it from the business sense. You're trying to keep students, you're trying to build a brand, you're trying to do something. So you don't want to be the coach that loses it because you're, you're people are going to another location because they're teaching new stuff, but you have to be able to accept and say, hey, there are new techniques out there. There are absolutely new techniques out there or, or riffs on old techniques that are now new again. I, I remember one time speaking uh, on, on, a, on a social media message to Henzo Gracie, and I you know, asked Henzo, I said, Henzo, and I called, I go, what do you think about this new jitsu? All this like, you know, and at the time, this was a few years back, so it was like, it was like you know, the rubber guard, and Eddie Bravo was really implementing that system and really marketing and pushing it out there. Yeah. And Henzo just laughs. He's like, man, he's like, I'll tell you. He's like, I saw a guy back in the Gracie Academy back in 82 that was doing all that stuff. He's like, what's old is new. You know, it's new is, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, he's like, people have done these things before and credit to like other, you know, other practitioners or other systems that have branded and marketed it and put it out there and grown on it. Great. That's, you know, it's awesome. You know, I remember mentioning the other day, I'm like, you know, I, last time Hoist was here, I asked Hoist, I go, Hoist, what do you think about combat jujitsu? There was, there, we, and we're in a seminar and, and I would, actually someone else brought it up combat jujitsu. I'm like, Oh yeah. And, and Eddie Bravo is doing a combat jujitsu thing where you could smack to the head and do that. And he just laughed. He's like, you know, back in Japan, back in the day, there was this thing called pancreas and he's like, <laughs> yeah, the exact yeah. same rule set. And it's the exact same thing. And he's like, basically he's like, there's no, he's like, he's like that's, that's pancreas. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and, and it's funny because I remember, Matt, I remember you were talking about having the old uh, Gracie and Action DVDs. I remember 
my, my full contact fighter subscription back in the day yeah. and ordering and ordering the uh, the pancreas like uh, VHS tapes out of there where it was it was eerie where the entire Japanese crowd was so quiet and you could hear like every smack and hit and I was like this is crazy but I was watching that I'm like man that's awesome watching you know Boss and Frank Shamrock and Ken Shamrock and all those guys back in the day and I was like this is really cool you know but it's like you know what's old is new when it comes to to concepts of jujitsu and how people are rebranding and marketing and even some with MMA, how they're remarketing and branding different things. Now it, it's just, it's all secular. It comes back around. I never really thought about the comparison to Pancras, but it really is. It really is extremely similar. I covered the, the combat jujitsu world, the first event that Eddie Bravo put on. Okay. And I, I had done some of uh, his Eddie Bravo invitationals as well. I, I personally didn't enjoy it as much. I thought it took away from the, from the actual art of jujitsu and slowed down uh, the submissions. I found it a little, you know, because you could, you can't kick. So in Pancras, the kicks were a big, yeah. big part of it. Um, so I actually didn't. It, I went into it thinking this is going to be one of the coolest things ever, but kind of left wishing it was just the traditional Eddie Bravo, Bravo tournament. Um, but uh, but I, I never really thought about Pancras, but it basically. Basically, is real oh, similar yeah. minus the kicks. I think they said that, and the, during the brawl, you were there, so you didn't, probably didn't hear him. But I feel like who I don't know. I might have been uh, what's his name, the uh, Jeff. I was going to say Jeff Glovey, Jeff Glover. <laughs> I think I think he was calling that, calling that, and he said he's like, yeah, this is like Pancrase. He said it during the first one in the, during the brawl. I like like I enjoyed watching it, but like you said, uh, I mean, I think they're just doing they're trying to bring in new eyeballs like everybody else in in in. And everything now. I mean, uh, we were talking about the karate combat. Everyone's trying to bring in something new because uh, uh, the UFC is on almost every weekend now. So maybe it's a little oversaturating. So uh, I guess people are just looking for new formats and new and new ways to bring uh, different combat sports to to people's homes. I saw this. I, oh, sorry, sorry. I saw this thing. I coached my uh, my jujitsu team this weekend at a tournament, and it was uh, at a big uh, expo. And they had it there, and like where the jujitsu tournament was, right next to it, there was this setup, and it was the craziest thing I saw. It was guys wearing uh, like taekwondo kick pads and the heads and, and the gear, and there was like these two sticks with a string and like a like a gold thing on it. And the the players or the, the the competitors had like a bar, and they could toss the bar around like a soccer man, like like basketball, something run down. And if they held the bar, and they were close to the thing, they could like like jump up and kick the bar. And it was like some like weird football soccer. <laughs> And I was just sitting there. I was like, "What is this? This is the coolest thing I've ever seen." You know? yeah. <laughs> it's just like you said. It's 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 finding a way to get more eyes on a product that people are trying to push. And and you know, credit where credits due for a lot of the jujitsu tournaments nowadays. I, I really I do. I enjoy that you got guys in, in, in the submission only or these brackets or, or um, ACJ or, or Kasai or all these big events that are going out there that are starting to, to, to pay Brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes who are starting to, you know, pay these guys and get them the exposure out there for, for, for you know, for potential future transitions into MMA, for, for you know, sponsorship jobs. It's great because there's a lot of great athletes that just go out there and every weekend. I mean, I remember for years I ran a jiu-jitsu tournament and I would see these athletes that would travel around weekly from state to state to just compete because they wanted to get the notoriety and get themselves out there. And it's great that there's other avenues or, or, or people saying like, we can find a way to, to put more eyes on these competitors to get them the, the notoriety so they can start, you know, supplementing and living their lives. And, you know, and then that's part I respect it, you know, but to the point where to, to the, 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 
that a lot of people have toward it is the fact that, you know, if it does tend to water down the rules, like one of the biggest things, like I, I do like the submission only because I know in, in certain IBJJF events I've seen um, guys, you know, I, I always laughed when you went on an advantage point for nearly sweeping somebody and you get up and you run around like, oh, I'm the best in the world. I'm like for almost doing something where both guys sat down and did nothing. Yeah. Um, so I do like where they have the, the submission only where guys are having to fight for submissions. But one of the things that I kind of, I love the most about like uh, ADCC is I like how they implement uh, penalties for guys who, who, you know, pull guard. I miss the, the judo, like all these years I trained judo and wrestling and stuff. And all of a sudden you go out there, slap hands, bump fists, and a guy sits down. I'm like, son of a bitch. You know? <laughs> why, was I, why was I training so hard? You know? That happened at a, uh, uh, this past summer at fight to win pro. Uh, the, one of the amateur MMA guys, Nate Ray, he's a, he's a really good wrestler. He's got a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, and he competed in, in that event. And uh, I think it was the, it might have been the guys before him, but one of the guys before him, they did that. He slapped hands, slapped hands, bump fists, and the guy sat straight down, and he got booed by, like, the whole place because they, <laughs> they were just like, wow, man, like, really? You're not going to and, – and the guy looking at him was just like, uh, like, like for real, bro? And, he, and then they had to find a way to engage for there, but nobody liked it. The guy lost to a – um, but, um, yeah, man, I mean, it's, it's, uh, when you started, uh, talking about leg locks, were they, were they considered taboo when you started or were they, were they, uh, good well, to go? so prior to that point and, and kind of my, maybe it's a, my thought process, I know that leg locks were not really necessary allowed at the time. And from what, and I don't quote me on this a hundred percent, but from what I was told was that in, I think it was like the, maybe the eighties and nineties when you had an influx of, um, you know, the IBJJS with the, the Brazilian fighters and, and they were doing things and it was a lot of competition with just Brazilian fighters that when you started getting a lot of the Sambo players and a lot of the, 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 the old school kind of players coming in um, at that time, those Sambo guys were dropping down and going for leg locks and heel hooks. Yeah. So they eliminated that in the gi for whatever reason at the time. Like, no, we, we don't want to go for that. And they use the excuse of, you know, it gets caught up in a pants and could lead to, to more damage. Okay, fine. You know, so and it, it became that transition. I started my initial martial art that I started in after I first saw the UFCs and I didn't find a jiu-jitsu gym in, in up in the New York area stuff at the time. I came when I moved down to Florida, I, I trained at a judo and sambo school. So okay. I was, you know, started learning how to do throws and leg locks and stuff like that. And I was really, I, I enjoyed them, you know, and even up to the point of when I got my purple belt, that was like a, a big you know, point to me. And at, and at the time when, when I had got my purple belt, leg locks weren't big in the jujitsu tournament scene. It was kind of like 50, 50 guard was the yeah. big new thing that everybody was starting to play in the 50, 50 game. And, and, and Marcelo with, with his X guard, that was like the big trends that were there. Um, and I enjoy, I was like, I love doing, going for leg locks and different things at the time. Um, but not, not so much to the point as nowadays, you know, and even at that point, yeah, it, it was always no gi. You can never do it in a gi. And, and yeah, a lot of, a lot of guys, like a lot of the old school guys just, you know, don't enjoy it, you know, but it's, it's one of those things that you have to learn it. You know, I don't like modernly how I see guys. I, I, and I have a lot of great friends who are phenomenal leg lockers, guys who put out DVDs and put it out there. But I think when I do watch certain tournaments now and all it is is 15 minutes of playing the leg lock game, and I've actually seen moments of those matches, and I'm like, wow, that guy, he put his arm there, his head was down. You could have jumped and gone to a triangle right there. Yeah. He was giving you the, the, the submission, but you're so hyper-fixated on the leg locks. You know, it, it tends to, you know, you, you want that well-roundedness. You know, I nowadays, modernly, I love training in a gi. 
playing open guard. I love doing that. I love playing the top position. No gi, I'll go for leg locks. But I feel like you need that diversity of doing both so that you can become a better practitioner in jiu-jitsu. Don't get hyper-focused on one thing. Yeah. Look at Hodger Gracie. Hodger's phenomenal. He's, his whole thing is, is basics and fundamentals. Yeah. You know, I mean, he went out there. I mean, like, like not many the, the people in the jujitsu community are still like mind blown how he came back from all those years and beat Buchecha, and he was real clean bread and butter basics. And and it was just like watching that match. It was incredible because you you learn so much by the little nuances that he was doing, and he wasn't going for crazy open guard player. This and he was just going for real legitimate basic bread and butter one hundred and one jujitsu yeah. and. He beat probably one of the best jujitsu practitioners in the world after a long layoff, and I think that's important to to not get so hyper focused on the one techniques or one style, and you know mix it in and have a, you know a full a full well rounded game. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. That was nice to hear because uh, when I started, I remember the the school I trained at wasn't my first school, and and the, the first school I went to, there were there was there were like completely just no leg locks, and then the, that's when I switched over to my current instructor, who was like, yeah they exist so we need to do them and um you know that's a it was it was a, a wake-up call for me because we were avoiding them so I, I had to learn like defend I, I still really just defend them i don't really go for them that much because of how i started but at least i i know how they feel and i know how to get away from them you know what i mean but um yeah it's definitely uh i just because it's uh, the time period that you said you started and i was just wondering what if you went through the same thing i did um because i know like there's people that talk about the, no white white belts aren't allowed to do leg locks. So everybody would be walking around with exploded knees and stuff. So it's like yeah. uh, a safety issue too. Because some people they you know once they learn a new move, some people just want to crank it because they don't yeah. have that control yet either. Yeah, so it's definitely a it's like a you know definitely a slippery slope. It's well, funny hearing Ray but, say that because when I when I was doing uh, my early training, uh, when we, when leg lock day would come around, we talked it. It was it was Sambo day. Basically, that's what Richard heard was he was Sambo and Rick Lucero knew some Sambo, too. So when we do leg locks, it wasn't it was like, OK, we're getting away from jujitsu today and we're going to work on some Sambo techniques. So it's kind of funny how that uh, how you say that, because that's basically I mean, that was late 90s. That's basically how yeah. it was looked upon. Um, there was the total separation, at least at least where I was at. No, no, and that's, it's still like that now because um, early uh, in the late uh, 2009, 10 or so, I was living overseas and I was I went to Ukraine and it was funny. I was a purple belt at the time. I remember going to a school in Ukraine and uh, they were like, oh, we only have like blue belts and white belts here. I'm like, okay, I just wanted to come in and, and train a little, roll around a little bit, walked into the mat and the, 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 the guy who's the instructor of the school introduces me and he's like, right, take it. And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> You know, I'm like, okay, I'm teaching. I'm like in another yeah. language. I don't really speak well. So I was teaching classes and doing that out there. But, and I noticed that everybody was really, really phenomenal at, at like, you know, like when it came to their grappling, like their, their, their basic jujitsu was a little bit like off at the time. Like I was like, oh, you really need to improve this work on that. Their guard games weren't well. But when I was like, all right, let's, let's roll. Let's start rolling. These guys are beasts. And they were all like, "Oh yeah, we trained judo and sambo for like forever." You know, <laughs> like yeah. it was like, and like there, and I'm watching them go for like leg lock entries and different things. And I was like, "Geez, you guys are legit," you know. So I'm like, "Teach me that," you know. <laughs> I want to get better at that, you know. But it's really, it's funny that a lot of people when that, that leg lock game came out, it was Matt, like you said, it was all, it was like, "Oh, that's like that, that's like that catch wrestling or sambo shit," you know. No one, no one, you know, that's not jujitsu. 
that's not jujitsu. And I'm like, yeah. I, I think it kind of is. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. I was just Oswaldo Fada. Oswaldo Fada and his lineage were good at the straight footlocks and stuff like that. So like, yeah. you know, you look at guys in that sense. It's like you, we have jujitsu players who are really good at it. You know, so you have to implement that in your game. Like John Donner has said, why would you ignore fifty percent of the body? You know, yeah, so yeah. like you have to have that mix of, of of putting that into your game as well. You know. Yeah, you know, uh, talking about that, Donaher, uh, what you said that where you got the quote from the Joe Rogan podcast, I assume, right? Yeah, yeah. So one of the tips he gave in that was about, uh, I mean, it's pretty much when, when you keep your hands inside when you're gauging somebody up here. He said he suggested doing the same thing with your legs when someone goes for a leg locks. I don't know if you caught that, but I've been doing that and it, and it works. Like it's completely screws people up if they go for a leg because, you know, everybody wants to not, not to get dirty minded, but everybody wants to kind of scissor. So when yeah. they go for a leg lock, so if you if you if you put your leg in between their legs, it throws off whatever they thought they're you know, the honey hole and all that stuff, clover yep. whatever. It throws it all off. But um, anyway, uh, uh, see, I just wanted to be cool, like roll Oleg Tektarov and do some rolling knee bars. That's yeah. <laughs> Oleg, Oleg was probably my favorite fighter back in the days, and I was actually really lucky to meet him in Florida. He's working on a shoot here in Florida, and I got a chance to meet him. And like, he was such he's like so transitioned on to being an actor now that it's almost like he it almost seemed like he forgot, like, he's like, oh, yeah. I'm a fighter. I, I felt the same way. I was in I was in Ukraine and I met um and it was funny because we were talking about him yesterday. I heard a funny story about him yesterday here. I met um uh Igor Vochenshin in Ukraine. And he's like a like a, a chef who runs like this this catering. He's phenomenal and he's like well known. And one of my buddies like, Yeah, of course, no one's gonna tell him his food sucks because he's yeah, he knocked, knocked out. out. Yeah. But, but he's like, like when I met him, he was like the nicest guy and he was all like, all about his food. Like, oh yeah, the fighting days are so well behind me. And I was like, That guy's amazing. You know, you know what, Those, what, what old I found, fighters are great. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, when you, especially when you get to finally meet them, I got to meet um what's his name with the cowboy hat. I always confuse him. I, I put the picture online, but anyway, uh, towards the end of his career, he got really into jujitsu. He wasn't knocking people out as much. He was trying to, he was jumping guard a lot and trying to, trying to do submissions. Do you remember that towards the end of pride? Uh, is that what you're talking about? Don Fry? No, uh, uh, I'm talking, well, no, I'm talking about, uh, Igor Vorchanchi because you mentioned, Oh him. yeah. Yeah. Vorchanchi started training. Cause I remember he, he had like a Sambo background of some sort, but he started training with, Oh, he was God. kickboxing. He was he was a, pretty much a, a kickboxer, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. Kickboxer. most of his career, but like towards the end, like before Pride, when Pride fell, I remember yeah, he he slipped he down and he was like he's he. It's like he almost forced grappling more than he tried knocking people out towards the end of Pride because his hands were shattered in about nineteen million places. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to evolve, right? Yeah. But uh, right. when you go uh, when you look at jujitsu, I mean, when like when you're watching the fights now. Uh, like Wilson Hayes fought this past weekend at the uh, UFC Glendale event. Um, when you're watching as a fan and, and you try to, I mean, or if you do breakdowns and stuff, uh, do you always automatically root for the jiu-jitsu guy or do you go local? Uh, uh, yes, that's no, a- because I do feel, and I forgot who said the quote. It might have been Hickson or somebody who had the quote that they said that um, the, the the practical use of jiu-jitsu in modern MMA, it's only like like 20% practical. Um well, like I, I feel there's a different mindset in for jujitsu fighters in 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 MMA versus sport jujitsu versus self defense. I think there's a whole different mindset you have to have, and I think it's very important to have that because in a fight when when guys are training for MMA, I'm like, don't pull guard, get off your back, 
top position only. Don't even go for a submission. Use your jujitsu to sweep, get on top, pass a guard, and just beat them down from that point. If at if ten seconds left in the fight, if you know in the round, if you could, if there's something, an arm up there, and you could go for it, take it then, and that's it. Or if you know you broke your opponent and they're completely out, then go for the finish there. But other than that, like. With the exception of Damian Maya, who's phenomenal, um, you know, with the exception of that, like yeah. I personally feel like jujitsu and MMA. When I see these guys who come and they're like, oh, they're they're old school IBJJF champions or multi-time BJJ world champs, and they go inside there, I'm like, you have to. Perfect example. Look at Gary Tonin. When Tonin fought his fight, he went out there. He worked on striking techniques, so he wasn't a one-dimensional. Showed a different look to the, the fighter, and B down the line, like Donaher said, like his other coaches had mentioned, he's going to be able to implement back that grappling game that he's so proficient at because he's mixing in these other techniques. I've seen you, you've seen other guys in the past. I mean, perfect example, phenomenal black belt. I mean, probably one of the world's best, Salo Rivero. When Salo went out there in his first fight and he shot in on a guy, dropped his hands with his head exposed, caught a knee, and it was good night, Irene. You know, I mean, it was match over. You know, and that, and that was, you know, and you see like a lot of the jiu-jitsu competitors who shoot in and, and only feel like they only have to use jiu-jitsu at that point. You have to mix it up. You have to be able to gauge your distance, set up your strikes. Don't think about the IBJJF rule set where a guy's going to do because anything goes. This is a fight. You know, outside of the things that are not allowed in the unified rules of MMA, it's a straight fight. So you have to change your approach. And if all the only thing you have is and gets back to what we we're talking about before about watering down jujitsu, because a lot of these guys come in and don't practice takedowns. It's only sit and pull a guard. So if you only go for that one style, you're probably not going to transition well into MMA. You have got to be able to mix it up, work the wrestling, work the judo, work the throws, work all that inside there, as well as your striking, as well as that. So when I watch a fight i like to see who takes their jujitsu and transitions it well into mma because it's not that it's a different style i mean it's basically self-defense jujitsu like a street fight protect yourself cover up break down posture control your opponent look to get out from underneath them or control them and look to try setting up a submission or put yourself in a position where you could start using elbows punches and break down your opponent from there but first and foremost do not worry about submissions that's what i tell guys in here when they're doing that my coach tells me don't worry about submissions look to either get back to your feet or get to the dominant top position you know that's for and yeah because you uh i would think we said you coach mma at the beginning right um or you've coached mma fighters uh ryan keenan yeah, I worked with uh, Ryan Keenan, who's uh, uh, one of our fighters here. Our coach, uh, he's one of our coaches, well, uh, well here too. Phenomenal striker, fought in like Strike Force and Bellator, uh, World Series of Fighting. Um, awesome dude. I mean, you know, great fighter, stuff like that. So just going to his training camps with him was awesome. You know, just you know, picked up a lot from our coaches, and there was always some guest coaches that kind of came along the way. Um, so yeah, it was amazing. I mean, that that's like listening to the insight from. You know, my coach, John Burke, uh, his other coach, like Rob Kahn, who's another one of our coaches who's coached a lot of guys in Gracie Tampa who've been on the Ultimate Fighter and stuff. Listening to the feedback and the information they relay, you know, it's it's all the same thing. Here's phenomenal black belts who are like, <laughs> we're not sitting here trying to shoot for arm bars. Get out of there. Get to your feet, you know, get to a top position and win the fight from there. Don't hang out in the ground. In MMA, if you're on your back, you're losing the fight. So sometimes when I watch jujitsu competitors go and pull a guy into guard and sit down on the ground, I'm like, well, you're already down in the judge's eyes, you know, so you better win this right now because you're losing the fight, you know. So you want to make sure that you're not putting yourself in a position where you do that. You know, for MMA fighters, jujitsu guys transition in MMA, you have to get good at wrestling, takedowns, winning the top position. Don't worry so much about the sub finish unless it is right there in front of you and win the fight, you know. 
Ed brought up the uh, Wilson Hayes fighting this week, last past weekend at the UFC Glendale card. And um, before we the show ends, I want to make sure we talk about that a little bit. Um, what was your take on the uh, the Dustin Poirier uh, Justin Gagey uh, brawl of the year? I guess we call it. I mean, it wasn't the most technical fight, but my God, some tough tough bastards in there. Yeah. You know, in in Modern MMA to me, it's it's kind of a it's it's a little bit of an enigma. There, there's 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 several things that I really love about it, and there are things that bother me. I love that now it is so high profile that finally the the fans who used to get old DVDs of Pride fights or early UFCs going to like you know you know friends' houses and getting the pay per views back in the '90s and stuff like that, it's finally in a world market where people can appreciate it. And in that sense, I really enjoy it a lot. However, I, I've never been one to need to see a bloodbath. I've always wanted to see a great technical battle that if it goes back and forth and it's, it's, it's an even fight that ends with a, a knockout or a submission, that's one thing. But while a lot of people find those fights enjoyable, I personally always worry about the longevity and the, and the, and the end of the career for the fighters. And I think that when I see fights like that, to me personally, I feel like I, I've often joked around about like a guy like Gaethje is that, you know, he's on his CTE world tour. I mean, yeah. you know, I know he just recently said he has uh, five more fights left in him. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if an athletic commission is going to approve you for five more fights. If you keep going out there taking the dam, and he's taking that kind of damage throughout his career, yeah. you know, and it's like, I get it. It's exciting. The fans, it is entertainment in one aspect. But it's also you have to look out for the safety of fighters. And while you look at that and you could applaud the grit that a fighter like that has, I, I personally think it's like, uh, that's that's a bit, you know, a bit short sighted. Keep your hands up, man. You gotta work on that technique more because I know it's exciting to go out there and just wing punches. And and a lot of great fighters in the past, people love, you know, did that. I mean, hell, I remember loving watching Don Fry fight, what's his face, and and, and just grab each other and punch each other in the face. That was Takiyama. awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love watching Cabbage Cahaya get beat up inside. <laughs> like, like, yeah, what happened to him? I mean, I think he's probably, you know, look at guys like Gary Goodrich, those guys, he's probably in the same thing like that. You, you watch these yeah. fighters take that kind of abuse, and it's at some point you start worrying about that. It, it, it was an exciting fight from a, from a novice fan perspective. It's, it's like watching a live-action Rocky fight. You know, it's like watching a, a movie. At that point, there, there's entertainment value there, but for technique and for longevity of fighters, if that was a friend of mine or, or a student of mine or a fellow teammate or something, I'd be like, bro, you gotta, you know, that's, I worry about fighters like that. Cause we've seen in, in recently, especially a lot of these older fighters, guys who've been around for five, 10 years, who've been out there actively fighting, you start seeing them take a lot of abuse toward the end of the career. And, and, you know, unlike the other major sports that are out there, there, there is really necessary seem to be a retirement plan in, in play for a lot of these MMA fighters. And you don't want to see guys, you know, in five, 10 years, you know, in bad shape, you know, that, that, that'd be heartbreaking, you know? So while it was exciting and I'm sure there was plenty of fans who love that rock'em sock'em style, personally, I like to see a cleaner, cleaner technical fight that ends in a, in a knockout or a submission where one fighter imposes their will and, and wins the battle rather than let's see, you could hit each other the most before somebody falls. You know? For people who didn't see it, Dustin Poirier uh, finished off Justin Gagey uh, by TKO in the early into the fourth round. After, uh, I mean, each guy landed, uh, you know, a couple hundred punches on each other's head, and um, and Poirier's leg was swollen twice the size of, of his yeah. other leg. Uh, yeah, I, it's one of those things, you know. You, 
for it being a Fox card, it's probably going to gain a lot of fans. Uh, they probably got a good amount of viewers and people will pick up on it. But um, I think it was, uh, you know, I can't remember exactly who said it, but it was, I think it was in reference to Floyd Mayweather and people talk about him being a boring boxer, but I was always taught the purpose of boxing wasn't to punch your opponent. It was to not get punched yourself. Exactly. You, you know, no one who never gets hit loses a boxing match. You know, if you don't, yeah. if you don't get hit, you're not, you're not going to lose a fight. Um, so it's one of those things. It's just, you know, it's a fine line between that. I find myself wondering where Gagey's wrestling is. I've heard so much about his wrestling. And, you know, t- when your days, I think uh, uh, Anik or one of the guys brought it up during the broadcast when he was dazed and he was, you know, he was actually waving uh, Poirier to come on and keep throwing punches. Um, when in the past we've seen guys like Fedor or, uh, you know, a bunch of guys who will go in for the clinch and try to try to catch themselves you know, realize that they're on their way out. And uh, I always wondered, you know, with him, what would happen in some of these fights, even the Alvarez fight, um, yeah. just, just clinch, catch your breath, you know, clear your head a little bit and, and, and show your wrestling. We've heard so much about it, but he showed so very little of it in, in any of his uh, MMA bouts. I, and I, I, when you go back to a point we brought up earlier, talking about John Donner on that, on that yeah. podcast, he brought up the, the tenets of jiu-jitsu, of, of your point is to take your opponent down, pass yeah. by the dangerous legs, get to a pin position, and get to the dominant position to win the fight. And you think that if this was a fight – if it wasn't a prize fight, if it was a, a – or if you're making money for winning the fight, then you want to, like you said, in boxing, take the least amount of damage as possible. So and, – and going back to another point, the Gracie's point is engage the clinch, get the takedown, use strikes to set up position, and then finish the fight with a submission. You know, or finish on the ground with strikes, put the person out. You know, I mean, you look at Hoist's original fights. That's what he did. The hands up, that old school Hoist Gracie kick, step, clinch, take a guy down. And a lot of times, people it wasn't all submissions. It was a punches. I mean, he made Pat Smith give up on punches. You know, he made some guys give up on punches on the ground. So it's it's trying to take the least amount of damage. You're not, you're never not going to take damage. I mean, even if a punch grazes off your blocking or kick goes off the thigh, and you're checking it. You're still going to have a sore shin, or you're going to feel that impact. Even on a takedown, when you fall down, that impact. What you, there's still going to be some semi damage. You know, if it was in, in the octagon, it's that. If it's in a street, you're going to get abrasions or whatever. You know, but you're trying to take minimal damage. I've never understood why, and this is one of those points where. I think modernly the the a lot of MMA organizations want to try to have that just bleed highlight reel knockout where exciting thing and not have the technical brawlers. I mean, there was a, a point that was brought up for many years about Damian Maya when we talked about him earlier that they consider him a boring fighter because what 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 was it like in four fights he only took like two hits or something like that wasn't yeah, it? Like, he had a, he had like a that? good run. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was something astronomically crazy like that. But but that's a smart fight. He took such little damage. And he uses jujitsu and and won fights, you know. And you see other guys who, not even jujitsu players, you see strong wrestlers take guys down, get to the top position, sit on top of them, beat them up, you know. Randy Couture is great at that. Get into that dirty boxing clinch, take a guy down, sit in half guard, push him up against the cage, and beat him to death, you know. And it's and he took minimal damage as he did it at the time, which is why he was able to keep that longevity. For I mean, he started late in his career, but he was able to continue fighting. But then. All of a sudden, people are like, no, we're not exciting enough. We're trying to be exciting. So everybody wants to be a kickboxer, and they're on the wrong end or the right end of a highlight reel knockout. Yeah. And then the longevity of fighters starts you know, going down. And, and ultimately, I think it, 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 it takes away from the sport because you're not seeing technically the best fighters anymore, I think. You're seeing a bunch of amped up 
well-conditioned brawlers go out there and fight rather than those, those clean, you know, head moving, you know, technical fighters that we always so like, I think in the, in the, in the mid two thousands, we saw a lot of those guys come up and now we're seeing them kind of fall off because they got older and they're out there trying to brawl now, you know? So I'd much rather see those clean, technical, precise fighters, be it strikers, jujitsu players, wrestlers, whatever, implement their game and win rather than rock them, sock them. That's always been kind of my personal opinion. Well, I wonder if that has anything to do with the pay. Now, I mean, now guys aren't getting rich necessarily now, but a guy like Gagey is making six figures for a fight, whereas in, like you mentioned, in the early 2000s, if you were making $15,000 for a fight, yeah, you know, exactly. so you, you, it wasn't necessarily worth your health, and it, you yeah. knew you wanted to try to come back and fight three weeks later. You know, but but as far as the the pay goes, I mean, you you could still enforce your style that you're known for. I mean, I guess if you make the smart decisions, the only reason I'm mentioning is because Ben Askren just came to mind. You know, yeah. one one FC paid him very well, and uh, he he pretty much wrestled. I mean, I know he's got a few TKOs on his record, or whatever. But uh, one of the one of the reasons I heard, I don't I don't know how true it is, is the the UFC didn't want him because they didn't find him to be entertaining, but um and Ray can Ray can tell you too when you when you feel the pressure of a wrestler there's nothing entertaining about it but it's exhausting and it, and it, it's a it's definitely a way to beat somebody and make them quit and that's what he did his whole career so he, he was such a step above everybody else with yeah. his wrestling ability though and you know he had his he had a fair share of what you would call boring matches in Bellator um his last few there uh God he beat the hell out of uh, Koreshkov or Korshov and um Oh gosh! Uh, oh, Koreshkov, the guy and Amasau, Carl Amasau. I mean, yeah. he just beat the living yeah, hell yeah. out of those guys. Yeah, he did. You know, and then when he went into one, he 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 pretty much beat the hell out of those guys. You know, <laughs> and they, you know, he really didn't have any. I don't recall any real boring fights in one FC. Um, it's just kind of he had a reputation early on, but again, that was for Bellator. You know, that was when they were having tournaments. Well, that, you that's know, my thing too. I, I didn't think those fights were boring. I I, I thought because it was, it was him imposing his style and his discipline on his opponent. It's for me, that was, that was entertaining enough, but I know not everybody's like that. Yeah. But when you have like your lightweight champs, you know, Eddie Alvarez, and then you're comparing that to, to Ben yeah. Askren, it's a, you know, but like at Bellator, you know, it was a tournament is at least the first couple times he won tournaments where he, he was fighting basically like every six weeks. If every, as long as he didn't get hurt, you know, and I think that might have something to do. We talk about Hoist, uh, you know, he had this clinch and stuff. He had to win three, four fights in a night. Mm-hmm. You know, Justin Gagey. I mean, I, I don't mean to pick on Justin Gagey at all. The guy's a uh, yeah, guy's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, it, I wonder how his his fighting would. I wonder how the world of MMA would be if we'd have this rock'em sock'em robots. If these guys knew that the pay scale was after two more fights that night when they would when they would see that check. Exactly. You know, I, you know and and I, that's why I always like tournaments. And we've talked about it before because the the. You, you always had to kind of plan for stuff. You couldn't just go all out. The guys in the early UFCs that did that, the uh, the Kevin Rozier in UFC 1, you know, he ends up just breaking his hand. You know, he ends up going down to uh, Gordeaux in the second round. But it was just – you quickly learned that you couldn't fight that way. You know, guys like Dan Severn, for example, would go in there, and he would basically just slap fight everybody, but he would win championship after championship. And, I, I you know, that that's where the technique really showed, and I wonder if that's uh, – I wonder if the knowing that you're only going to fight once every seven months, maybe eight months, you know, unless you're Frankie Edgar, apparently who they, who they like to <laughs> throw right back to the wolves after a, a yeah. brutal knockout. Yeah, but, that's, uh, 
and that's and that's one of those things. Like like I remember watching Gaethje fight. Um, uh, who did he fight? He fought Melvin Gillard on the same World Series of Fighting card that my buddy Ryan fought on, and watching this the the amount of heat that he threw on every single one of his shots like it would just echo the, the leg kicks and the punches would just like and we were sitting there at first we're like oh we're gonna we're gonna go like get it you know we we're really interested in a match because melvin didn't make weight you know and 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 then well what happened did we lose him yeah it seems to have froze that see if he comes back about the 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 actual damage these fighters are taking because it was just impressive watching all this like oh my god that's crazy these shots are huge like you hear this it was it was amazing but then afterwards you start thinking about like you said if that guy had to turn around and come back the following week to to pull a cowboy and pick up a fight the next week or something it's not possible you know and and I think that that's where the uh for 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 modern MMA I, I wish for a lot of the fighters the pay was different and, 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 and that, that scale was, was, was different that they, they fought a little bit more smarter to protect themselves or, or they had more financial earnings that they could, you know, obviously not have to worry about not fighting for the remainder of the year. Do you think, uh, Ray, do you, do you think uh, just because we just touched on it when we were talking about grappling, how some guys married, like guys get so married to leg locks, they forget the other technique. Do you think, uh, in your opinion, when the fight, cause for me talking about Justin Gaethje, I feel like, he didn't forget his wrestling, but I think the fact that he finished uh, like those fights with Luis Palomino in World Series of Fighting mm-hmm. when he was and then he was dropping dudes with all these leg kicks. Do you think he just because he even said it? I, he I think he said it before the Poirier fight. He's like, I'm going to kick his legs off. Do you think they get married to winning in a certain way so much that they actually forget? Oh, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, look at the history of MMA. Look at the guys in UFC who all of a sudden fall in love with one thing. And next thing you know, they're, you know, Chuck was a phenomenal wrestler. And when, when he started landing that overhand right, that was it. You never saw anything else but that overhand right. You see guys who all they're going to do is that one thing that they're known for when if they mix up. And that's, and that's the thing about the better MMA fighters and you, you, and, and, or any combat fighter at that point. You look at boxers. You look at jiu-jitsu players. In the course of a match, you have a game plan that you're trying to implement, and you have to make the adjustments necessary. And I think a lot of those fighters, it's like if the opportunity presents itself that you set up for that thing you like to do, do it. However, you can't fall in love with just going for that the entire time because Johnny Hendricks is a great example. Everybody knew he had that jab, jab, overhand, jab, jab, overhand, jab, jab. So then people started circling away from it, and he still kept throwing that. No matter, he wanted to be exciting and get the knockouts. And when he, when people took that weapon away from him, he started fading because you know notoriously he he was known for not having great conditioning, I guess. And 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 you know, but didn't utilize his wrestling either. You know, he fell in love with that one thing, and and rather than mixing it up and trying to get to a clinch, take guys down and beat them up on the ground, he wanted that jab, jab, overhand. So you see fighters constantly fall in love with that one thing that they're known for. Yeah. I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to knock him out. Just go out there and win the fight however you need to, however yeah. it presents itself. You know? One of the things I was going to ask you, too, about this, this past weekend's Glendale event, because uh, I, was, I was watching, I was, somebody was messaging me when I was watching Mich- Michelle Waterson's fight. Uh, what was the name of her opponent, Matt? The, uh, Courtney Casey. Against Courtney Casey. Um, as I was watching it, I'm like, I think she has a lot of losses by submission, and I was watching her in her garden stuff, and it's like like the, the way she was pulling out. I was just like she actually almost got armbarred at the end of that fight, yeah. and I just feel like like uh, she's probably one of those people that she's just so in love with her being a striker she doesn't focus enough on 
on submission defense with with the amount of losses by submission she's had and stuff like that. I don't do, when you're watching a fight like that, do you have criticisms as to how they're defending or anything like that? Like, do you think there's, there's absolutely because I I feel like if you look at like all, all take jujitsu and MMA and bring it down to like what is commonly the most common submissions you see out there, you're either catching arm bars, rear naked chokes, guillotine chokes on occasion, and triangle chokes on occasion. Yeah, you'll see some Kimors peppering, some shoulder locks peppering in there. You'll see some other odd submissions in there. But you have those basic three you know, things that people catch. Armbar, rear naked choke, guillotines. Wrestlers shoot with their head down, they get caught in a guillotine. And it's like, guys, in wrestling, you can shoot with your head down, but you're going to MMA. There's strikes involved. you got to watch out for the knees. you got to keep your head up so you don't get caught in a choke. Rear naked choke, don't turn your back to your opponent, which I see all the time, constantly. A lot of guys, they start getting hit, they roll over to protect themselves. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> Connor versus Nate. You know, Nate perfectly got on the mountain, punched him a few times. Connor rolled over, gave him the choke. And Nate was yeah. smart, jumped right on that choke right away. You know, you see guys or, or the arm bars. Countlessly, I see people inside their opponent's guards with their arms extended, standing up with their arms out there, not realizing it's like basic jujitsu techniques, like understanding how to defend an arm bar, how to defend a rear naked choke, how to defend like simple techniques like that. It, go, it does go unnoticed because nowadays it isn't back in the day when MMA first started. You had UFC one, as you guys both know, it was style versus style. So you had you had these proficient style people going inside there. Then you had the cross trainers. You had the the Pat Smiths and, and the guys who like I know how to wrestle a little bit and I could throw you know an Amori Smith, not Pat Smith. You know I, I could throw the kicks and I could also mix up some wrestling. You know you had these guys starting to do the cross training thing, which is great. And now they, they started implementing you know mixed martial arts. Nowadays you get people who don't focus on a specific. Trade. I think, I mean, if you look at it outside of like the Damian Myers and a few of the, and the Mackenzie Dern and people who came straight from a jujitsu background or, or uh, Rhonda where her judo background, or, you know, you don't have too many people that have come up who are, you know, they came up in a mixed martial arts gym. They didn't start at a Brazilian jujitsu gym and also learn how to box. They went to an MMA school and that MMA school, depending on their MMA instructors, they're, they're striking coaches or they're jujitsu coaches. They might be proficient and they might not be addressing certain things. So they get them to be well-conditioned athletes and they train them in just enough, but they're not experts in anything. They're the jack of all trades, master of none. You know, and you start looking at fighters and they put themselves in those positions where I look at them like, what is this girl doing or what is this guy doing? Whatever. You know, why are you leaving your arm fully extended out there? Or understand the basic concept that they're grabbing your arm and you stand up and fully extend your arm. You're giving them what they want to do to your arm. You know, stack them up, try to get out. And you see people and they have such a lack of understanding. And then after they tap out, they're like, yeah, I got caught. They got lucky. No, they, they were skilled, and you had no idea what to do. You could see people lost in those situations. And I think that's, you know, it, it again, gets back to that point of, for me, I'd rather not see Rock'em Sock'em. I want to see technically skilled fighters, and I feel that fighters should kind of go back and say, hey, let me go and train. You know, let me go train some of these martial arts so I have a better understanding of wrestling, of judo, of jiu-jitsu, of boxing, so I'm not getting caught in these situations like I have been. Well, she did a pretty good job of getting out of the arm bars. I thought her defense was pretty good, uh, especially because she was fighting kind of a bigger opponent. It'd be nice to see him. You know, I just want to make it clear, if Michelle Watterson, if you hear this podcast, I thought you had a wonderful full fight. And uh, 
<laughs> I'm a big fan. No, I, I, I am a big fan of Michelle Waterson too. Do not get me wrong, Michelle, you're a badass. So, yo, I'm just saying I'm a fan. I'm an absolute fan of you. So. No, I know. I'm just I'm throwing a joke out there. But, um, <laughs> you know, I would like to see the UFC bring in the 105-pound women's division. I think she'd be strong in that. Um, and, you know, she's just a great human being, so I think she'd be a good representative for – for a new division. Um, and I, I honestly, you know, it's so funny about MMA. I, I They have such a, sh- a struggle right now with their lower weight class divisions. I miss the WEC. I miss the WEC. I personally, I would love to see a card where you have, keep the heavier weights on one side and the lower weights on the other side, but equally promote them. So you can even do a, a if you want to have the weekends, UFC, you know, 155 and up, Week one, you know, WEC 155 and under or 145 and under week two, and just go back and forth and still be able to promote those guys. I would love to see something like that again because I, I miss those those lightweight cards with those lightweight fighters, you know. What do you I think wish- about the the when they because obviously the UFC acquired WEC, they acquired Strike Force, they acquired Pride, and then they just bring it under UFC and call it UFC. Do you think they should, like you said, the days of WEC, would you prefer that even if they owned it, they just kept the same branding as something separate just for? the sake of entertainment and competition. Personally, I, I, I would, I don't see what, why you, you would hurt that. You have a different brand, you know, it's a completely different brand with a different form. I mean, same format, different, like different levels of fighters. You know, I, I think it's, it's, it's important. I think, I think they need that diversity. I'm, I'm rooting for Bellator. I love, I love what Bellator is doing because I think they're doing a lot of great things with some of their fighters and their, and how they're developing some of their young talent coming up. And I think they're doing a phenomenal job with that. You know, um, UFC has some great young fighters upcoming too. You know, I just, I feel like with the amount of cards they have and, 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 and where guys are and how injuries take place and different things, you know, guys get lost in the shuffle. And I think it's hard to hang on to a fighter because UFC, you know, like, you start asking people that the average person, even like some skilled, like people who train and stuff like that, like who's the number four ranked featherweight in the men's division? Like, I don't know. <laughs> like they don't know the topic because they, they, so many people get lost in the shuffles that, you know, I wish they would have, even if, if, if WME IMG owned, you know, WEC and UFC have two different brands running at the same time and make that a, a, a viable thing to, to, so you have more promotion for your different fighters, you know? I always wondered why they didn't do like a UFC Pride. Just call it UFC Pride and, and really yeah. focus on the Asian market. Awesome. Yeah, they sell, they sell the shirts and everything too. And I'm like, why? Why did? Why didn't you do something? I think if they kept the brand and still did like like they want to go to Japan. If you go to Japan, still do Pride cards. Then you know, that would like, be awesome. Yeah, you know, I, I know when the sale happened. I think there was some animosity from the Japanese fans and and stuff like that that maybe weren't too happy about American company purchasing pride but i always wondered why they after it kind of died down a little bit why they didn't you just call it ufc pride and and it and take over the the market and really get a bunch of japanese guys into it and and uh chinese fighters and you know and you could even have the eastern europeans you know uh really fill out those cards you know and then let those guys build a name and you know that would be your 3 a.m fight pass cards could be every weekend from from japan or ukraine or wherever the heck they decide to do it but uh you know, and then the WEC thing too. I, I, you know, keeping the lightweight guys. I thought Strikeforce did it well with their challengers cards. Yeah, you know, it was. It was. You know, you you knew they by the name alone. You knew that you weren't watching the the top shelf uh, fighters in the organization for the most part. But but you knew you were watching the up and comers, and you weren't fooled by you weren't fooled paying sixty five dollars to get a, a you know a pay per view with people that you weren't recognizing the names and stuff. You you knew it was up and coming fighters and. You know, from there, I mean, that's where Ronda Rousey fought, uh, started. Mm-hmm. I, I went to her first uh, Challengers fight. I think it was Challengers 18 um, in Vegas. And, 
You know, she was she was coming off a couple of King of the Cage fights, and you know, but you had heard her, you'd heard the name from the Olympics, and you know, it just kind of built from there. She armbarred, uh, I think, Sarah Dielio, or I think that's who it was, uh, and and you just kind of. You know, you just learned who the people were, and, and you knew that they were building up the ladder. You know, so I'd love to see that come back. And like you talk about Bellator, I mean, AJ McKee just co-mained event uh, this last Friday night, and I mean, he moved to I think eleven and zero now. And you know, I mean, he almost looks like a prodigy. His dad was a great fighter, uh, Antonio is. McKee, and uh, I mean, his son just—it seems like he's just a step ahead of the other uh, younger competition that he's fighting. So I love to see what Bellator is doing with their younger guys. You got anybody coming out of six levels? Uh, your gym that's coming up for a pro MMA or amateur? Uh, not not right now. We have we have some young guys. I mean, it's it's a different group right now. Like we don't necessarily focus too much. We have a lot of great jujitsu competitors right now. Like guys who are gonna you know, and I, like I have a great youth competition team. There's a a, a kid that I, I definitely think. Um, his name is Jaden Tross. He's a he's a young kid, uh, green belt, uh, 13, 14 years old. Uh, no, thirteen years old. Um, he's he's tapped out like 16 year old kids in tournaments he's uh, you know it, it, he's really like a kid that i feel in the next couple of years might start being on that jujitsu radar we have a young uh guy here and one of our coaches named baron pitts who's um a phenomenal jujitsu competitor has won some decent tournaments has competed against some big names and 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 won in the past and i know he's taking uh, like a year or so off but he's you know looking to get back into it actively that he's a guy definitely uh in 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 bjj uh, definitely, I feel he's going to make some noise. Um, whether or not he decides to transition over to MMA later on, I, I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, right now it's like it's been funny. I think that like I don't know, and, and and I'll even ask you guys like your your perception of it. Like, do you think like modernly? I don't know if there's a lot of like young MMA guys who aren't already out there who are coming up right now. Like, I feel like that, that market where fighters are people, cause I knew like a lot of guys who were playing football or other sports, when they started realizing that their, 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 their shelf life was ending on that, even if they like, they weren't going to get into college or they weren't going to get into, or the, into the pros from college, they were like, you know what, let me try MMA. And I feel like a lot of guys now are starting to kind of steer away from that. I do see a, a bigger rise being in the jiu-jitsu community and the tournament out there in the tournament scene where I start seeing a lot of now younger – like the, the tournaments are building up really big where you start seeing a lot of those guys. Maybe they're afraid of getting hit. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe it's a different mindset, but I see that being a, a, a trend right now. Or yeah. they're trying to become proficient to make that transition over. But I don't know. What do you guys think? Is that is that something that you, you guys are noticing a lot of upcoming young talents or – I mean, ar- around here, from what I notice from the guys I've trained with and the, and the other people I talk to up here in the Northeast, um, I'm I'm actually noticing there's more there's more guys that younger guys, especially when they come in and they start at a jiu-jitsu academy or an MMA school or Muay Thai gym, and they want to transition into into MMA right off the bat. And then as they spend time, a lot of them are just like, I think I want to compete in you know like uh, the fight to win pro or or these these because now now that there's more of them. Yeah. Back again, but if we if I go back to date myself, you know when I would did it, it was there was only Naga and Grappler's Quest, and that was it. Yeah, and and IBJJF. But you know then then you know all these other ones. Now you have New Breed. You have uh because uh, like you said, because size is the big one around here, right? And that happens right where I go drinking. That's why I don't go cover it because it's, it's right it's too close to all the bars <laughs> I like in Brooklyn, but. But uh, um, yeah, no, it's definitely there's more. There seems to be more places where people now can compete and get make money doing it, even if you're not not that well known. 
You know, when you talk about like football players and other athletes transitioning into it, I I think that's, that's harder to do now. You've got kids that have been training MMA since they were six years old now. Um, So for these guys to jump into a gym, they're not necessarily the best athlete in the gym anymore. Exactly. Um, So they're coming in and, you know, you had the football player who was just a tough guy, you know, and and he, okay, I'm going to come in here and I got some wrestling. I wrestled a little bit in high school or, and now they're coming in there and they're running into the to the guys that have been training strictly MMA for, you know, they're 22 years old and already have 15 years of MMA training. Um, I, I think that's the huge difference that I notice is that, you know, it's so many more guys now who are just have a lifetime of training. And uh, it, it's just harder for somebody to step into a, a gym and, and really make a, a name for yourself unless you have that history and that, that background. I think you do see that too. Getting back to like uh, talking about earlier when we mentioned Nikki Ryan, you hit 16 years old beating black belt adults, you know, and, and like you mentioned, you I've seen it here with our, our youth program. There are some kids that I've been teaching since they were seven years old who are now getting ready to turn 14. And I mean, if you consider an adult to get a black belt in jujitsu for an adult, it's an average of anywhere from as little, you know, as little as about seven years, as much as 12 years, give or take ish, you know, depending on what you do. So if you go seven to 12 years to get a black belt and then you take a kid who started when they're eight years old and they're now 15 years old, they've had that same seven years and they're learning and they're constantly practicing and training. Now they're almost like, well, outside of like not having adult size and strength, you're beating guys or you have just the same mm-hmm. amount of training. And for, for, for the kids, their parents are like, this is an after school thing. So they will be there four or five days a week training. You know, they no excuses because we need to put them somewhere. So unlike adults, you might come in one or two days a week for that amount of time. So these kids are constantly training. So I think to your speak point, exactly. I, I agree that I think that there's a lot of athletes that come in and see like, wow, that, I'm strong, I'm fast, I'm whatever, but this kid's got the technique and he's putting the numbers on me. And I think it does start deterring people. But it's it's funny. I think that like MMA, the, the, the entrance into MMA is now it's, it's, it's an ebb and flow. And I think I personally, my opinion is I see it kind of in a downslide right now because I see even in Florida, Florida's got phenomenal jiu-jitsu schools. Our sister academy, the, the Gracie Tampa schools out there, Rob Khan, Matt Arroyo, who was in the Ultimate Fighter, fought in UFC, and now is a phenomenal competition grappler. They have tons of guys who are fighting MMA. They're up-and-coming young guys, but they have a lot of guys who are in the sport jiu-jitsu scene, no gi, submission grappling, you know, and they're beasts. They're killing it out there. Um, um, American top team, Wagner's here, uh, and at his school down here. There's a lot of great schools. Ruben Alvarez, there's a lot of phenomenal competitors out here that when you start looking at jiu-jitsu i think a lot of guys who used to fight mma are now starting to get into hey you know like you said i can get paid to grapple now i can go out there you know i've seen some tournaments where they have a super fight they pay a guy five hundred dollars to do a a 10-minute match so in 10 minutes i can go make five hundred dollars and that match might end in a minute with me getting submitted and that guy getting submitted one way or the yeah. other. We're both getting paid. You know? yeah. <laughs> so yeah. then it's like, I made $500 for a minute's worth of work. Thank you. Goodbye. I could do that this weekend. And the next weekend I could do the same thing again. And every weekend I could go out there and do that, make two grand in a month for literally just doing literally, maybe if, if you add up the time, if it goes to the full time, 10, 20, 40 minutes worth of work, make two grand for that as well as my teaching, as well as my, my my gym thing so i think a lot of guys are saying man rather than go out there and get punched in the face and getting injured and whatever i can do this and it's, it's less impact for now 
you know, but then all of a sudden when they get that, that credibility behind them, they're like, you know what, let me make that transition. Let me go in there and try to fight and do something different. You know? So I think that, you know, for me, I see MMA is kind of in a down slope for now, but I, I do think that, I don't know what's going to happen with the UFC. I, there, there seems to be a lot of weirdness in that company right now, per se. Yeah. But, 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 but like, and I think Bellator is doing a lot of good things, and I think other organizations are doing good things. I feel there's going to be an upswing later with athletes or, or fighters going to different areas, whatever's going to happen with the whole fighter union thing and that kind of stuff like that. I, I think there's going to be a, 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 an influx in the next couple of years where it's going to maybe become more legitimate as a sport at, with like retirement plans for fighters and guys will consider jumping and staying and doing that again. Well, man, Ray, you've been a great guest, and I know we're starting to run short on time here, but a couple things. I would like to hear some of your picks for some of the upcoming fights. Okay. Um, this weekend uh, for the UFC uh, Atlantic City card, uh, Frankie Edgar, Cub Swanson. Uh, you know, every yeah, you always it, it's always hard to pick against Frankie. It's always hard to pick against Frankie. I, and normally I would pick him. I, I'm, I feel like just because of that short timetable off that knockout, his first knockout, I, I feel like if Cub plays it smart and, 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 and picks and sticks and gets out of the way, I, I feel Cub's going to decision him in this one. Uh, Edson Barbosa, Kevin Lee, the main event. Barbosa. I, I, yeah, I, I, I just think his leg kicks, he's, he's a beast. And Lee, Lee's aggressive. He's one of those guys that I think is, is, is not really a specialist but is a good athlete. And, and I feel like Barbosa is going to, to, to beat him there. I think he's going he's gonna to pick him apart. Yeah, that's one of those ones where I wonder if Kevin Lee, if he's going to come out and use his wrestling, uh, you know, and kind of follow the Khabib uh, play, uh, playbook, or if he's going to let the Rock'em Sock'em Robots thing get into his head there. Um, and then one last at least in two weeks, we got the big uh, Fedor-Frank Mir fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you see that one? Oh, yeah, man. I am I've, – I have such – you know, if Frank Mir gets a lot of like a lot of crap from people, but I, he's one. Of, he's always been one of my favorite fighters. You know, because I just think like, a big jujitsu guy is always great. And Fedor is probably I, I, if if Fedor isn't in everybody's top three fighters of all time, I don't know what the hell they're watching. But um, ah, I yeah, I, I I'm I actually am going to have to go with Frank Mir on that one. I, I just think that I, you know Fedor has taken a lot of. He, he's he should have always been a, a 185 or a 205 or at least you know and I, I think that you know going against a big guy like Frank you know we've seen Frank if, if Frank fights like he did when he fought against you know when when he kind of went on that that re uh, that renaissance of his again you know I think you know he, he'll do well if he strikes and moves and uses his wrestling and grappling I think he can I think he can out grapple Fedor um, I don't know if he'll submit him but um, but I, I think that Frank Mir he's a bigger opponent I think he definitely can. Uh, I think he's going to pull out a decision win on this one. As much as that breaks my heart to say, I mean, I like them both, but I do like Fader a little more. I think Frank Mir is going to win that one. I think this on size, he's, you know, if he fights smart, then we'll see. It's, it's... and Matt and Matt just unfriended you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I'm a huge Fader fan. I went, I tried finding his gym because he has an associate gym in Ukraine. Uh, it was a Red Devil gym out there as well too. So yeah. I, I was out there. I was like, I just want to see. I was like, is Fader here? You know, it was. It was like, I, you know, I remember watching him. Oh God, the fight that he. Unfortunately, loss of Verdum. I was watching that in Ukraine, and all these guys like, eh, like Emilianenko, they're all cheering. And when he lost, it was like quiet. And I was just like, <laughs> what's about to happen right now? So, I mean, yeah, he's he's an awesome guy. I love Fedor, but I, I just, I, 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 I'm gonna go. It's kind of a pick'em, but I think Frank is going to be able to outgrapple him. No, I, I mean it makes sense. Everything you're saying makes perfect sense, and you know, my whole thing is the size difference. 
You know, yeah. Frank Mir's huge. You know, I, I know he's in good shape right now, but I ran into him, I don't know, six months ago in Vegas or something for uh, uh, at a comedy show. And, and the guy's a monster, you know, and if he uses his submission, if, I think if he stands for the fight, I think he's gonna he could run into trouble because I think yeah. Fedor will have speed on him. And, you know, Fedor seems to be throwing a little bit more straight punches than he had in the past. Um, Which at, least the one he, at least the one he landed on Mitrione was a straight shot. So if he stays disciplined, I think he's got a good chance of beating him. But I just hope, like I said last week, I just hope they both come in shape and uh, and put on a good show and, and, you know, nobody suffers a severe injury, basically. Uh, yeah. You know, to end their careers. But, uh, well, God, it's been a great show, man. I think we could talk probably for hours. Um, anything you want to promote or uh, throw out your Twitter handle or um, any sponsors? Yeah, man. Unfortunately, no sponsors right now. Back in my music days, I would have had a ton of sponsors. But, uh, you know, um, Six Levels Orlando, that's our academy. If anybody comes to the Orlando area, please stop on by. Come train with us. You know, jiu-jitsu, MMA, striking. You know, we do it all here. Self-defense, tactical jiu-jitsu. It's, it's, it's an awesome gym. Um you know, just keeping looking at that. Uh, yeah, my, my Twitter handle uh, at base GJJ Ray. Um, it's the same as my Instagram handle. Um, follow me on uh, on on uh, the MMA community. I'm, I'm Rhino there in the MMA community. So you know, come check me out there. Um, and for all those guys in the MMA community that are listening, thank you for listening. I know there's some great people in that community. A couple of goofs. I don't know some some guys. Some just <laughs> my. This dude from Miami, I don't know what's his, his deal. I, I think it's like Donald Trump nut hugger or something like that. I can't remember his name, but he's a, he's a character. That guy's a he's a he's he's always talking about wanting to come up and train against me. I, I always invite him, but you know, <laughs> never know if he's going to come. But well, uh, if, if, if that ever happens, we're streaming that live on the combat. <laughs> That's for damn I want sure. my points. I want my pay per view points. <laughs> <laughs> I still say it's the best. It's the best. Uh, I mean, that's that's how we all got together again. The MMA community dot com. It's still the best forum for yeah, that sport absolutely. on the internet. Absolutely. So, awesome. even Donald Trump nut hugger aside. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, guys! Thank you so very much. I'm really honored. Thank you very much. Thanks. Absolutely. I just want to remind everybody that can follow us on at Combat Hour on Twitter. Uh, myself at MMA Hawk Twenty One on Twitter and Instagram. And at Carbazel on Twitter. Uh, thanks everybody that listened. Ray, great guest. Uh, maybe we'll do this again uh, in the near future. Sounds like we've got a lot we can talk about. Awesome. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. All right.